sense of responsibility and commitment to Williams certainly runs deeper than anyone else's in the paddock. Because you do have this this legacy and the, to, to uphold, and as you say, you've grown up with the team. Um, when does the legacy feel inspiring and when does it feel like a real weight on your shoulders? Yeah, it's funny. Um, someone said to me the other day, and I've never had it put to me um, like this, that people could question my commitment to Williams because I've been in inverted commas born with a silver spoon in my mouth and therefore am I as hungry as say somebody that hasn't had that and the the comparison was to my dad you know my dad um, came from very um, humble beginnings very difficult beginnings they didn't have any money whatsoever my grandmother was um, a single mom raised him um, knew that a good education was what would get him out and you know give him a good platform moving um into the big wide world and you know so that there was that comparison and I was kind of like I don't think it necessarily works like that I think it can be a that's quite stereotypical to say well just because I was born into privilege I recognized the privilege that I was born into um and that detracts in no way from how I feel about Williams and how committed I am to this team this team is my life you know, I grew up as much as we weren't brought to races because, you know, dad didn't take us because no one else has to take their kids to, to the office. And I respect that. But we weren't, we were around Williams all day long in the sense that when my dad came home from work at the dinner table, when we would all have supper together, that's what we talked about. You know, we went on family holidays, not that dad was ever there, but that was all we talked about. So it is, it's so entrenched in me. Mm. I care about this so much because that's what we all cared about. That's what we were all taught to care about as kids was Williams. And, you know, the team has always fought to survive in our sport for whatever reason, whether that be financially or competitively. So I'm very used to that and I'm very conscious of the need to always, I suppose it's just inherent to me, the need mm. to always make sure Williams is successful. Mm. So I have an enormous commitment to this team. I can't see my life without it. You know, I don't know really who I am without Williams. Someone, you know, and I was having a conversation with my husband and said, you know, he asked me what, what would you do if it all went under or you sold it or whatever. And I said, I have no idea. And he, uh, and he said, well, you could go off and you could be a non-exec director for some companies or you could do speaking engagements. So it's like, but that's not me. You know, I am... Um, Formula One is just so my world mm. that I can't imagine my life without it. In some ways, does that make it tricky to be objective and to say, actually, now might be the right time to sell or might be the right time to step down? Have you ever considered that? You know, I, get, I got trashed for this last year but when I'm in the Netflix show. Um, unfortunately, what I said was taken some, somewhat out of context. They didn't mm. put the... The, the context wrapped or they didn't wrap the context around and you know I, I questioned my position within the team um, but only so much as I'm not arrogant enough to sit there and think they can't do this without me and I have to always be here mm. of course when things are going badly anyone should question themselves themselves it's the right thing to do so of course I went through that process but I I haven't been brought up to give up I'm not, I don't give up, I fight harder when people tell me that I, I can't do things. And, you know, people are very judgy, I've mm. found that in the past 18 months. Um, but they don't know what we're going through, they don't know what I do necessarily, they don't know how hard I fight and I work, and I don't believe that my time to go is now. I don't believe that selling Williams now is the right thing to go. You know, this is sport, sports teams go through difficult times and it's, it's what you do in these difficult times. It's the true test of who you are. 
whether that be as an individual or be as a team, as a sports team. Now is not the right time to, to pack up and go, we're done, we don't like it, we're not doing very well. It's about fighting and it's about all working, us all pulling together and showing the world that we can do this and that we belong in Formula One and our place in Formula One is at the top of the grid, not at the back of the grid. They would never find anyone that cared more, that's for sure, if you did leave. And equally, as you've touched on, I doubt, I doubt you'd find somewhere that you'd be as passionate about. And it's a difficult place to move from here because you've got to live and breathe it. I mean, as you say, it is part of your DNA. Just explain to us how that, um, how that worked and how it became part of you over a number of years through your childhood. Just describe your childhood to us. Um, I had a wonderful childhood. I was very lucky in that I was brought up in the world of Formula One. You know, um, I got to go to Williams on weekends when mum wanted a bit of a break from us kids. Dad used to have to pack us off with him on a Saturday and we got to run around Williams. And I never remember really seeing my dad on those days. You know, I was plonked on a secretary's lap or something and I used to help type letters and frank the mail. Franking the mail was a big thing of mine um, but also raiding the stationery cupboard <laughs> filling my little backpack <laughs> with stationery I still love our stationery cupboard it obviously holds happy memories for me um, you know I used to we used to zip line across the in the race space to have the, the the big things that come down to lift the car from place to place and Jonathan and I used to grab those and zip across the ceiling it was brilliant and coming to races was just great as well but you know, as much as that, we were kids and we did lots of other stuff as well. And, you know, I was very lucky, um, you know, in that sense, um, being a part of that kind of life and knowing that my dad was incredibly successful. But, you know, obviously I went to, I went to boarding school. So in my late teens or mid-teens, I suppose, I wasn't around it a huge amount. I would always scour the... wasn't allowed to watch it. I was always have to scour the Monday morning papers to see how Williams did when it was a race weekend. Um, but I never, you know, certainly we were never brought up by my parents to think that any of us would ever inherit Williams one day, that either any of us would ever run it. Um, and when, you know, the time came to make your, our career choices, you know, going to university, I never um, was had it in my head that I would wanted a career in motorsport. I, it just kind of happened. Um, it's kind of my whole career has happened quite organically. I've never had a clear ambition to one day run the team it's just progressively happened over the course of you know the 17 years that I've worked for Williams. Wow 17 years do you know something that struck me um when I first met you was the fact that you called your dad Frank and for a while I was like that is Frank's daughter isn't it and I remember thinking what a cool thing it was a very simple thing a very simple technique but it 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 brought respect and it made other people I think realize that you know, you weren't daddy's little girl. Yeah. It wasn't pure nepotism. You'd earn your place. Is that, was that a conscious decision? It must have been, obviously. You didn't call him Frank at home. <laughs> no, because I call him, I'm, I spend so much time in the office with dad. I, I, I sometimes do make the mistake of calling him Frank, you know, a private <laughs> time or, at, you know, family gatherings, whatever. And everyone was like, Claire, he's your dad, please. At least <laughs> call him, you know, dad occasionally. Um, it was a very conscious decision I made very early on in my career at Williams when I first started. It was like, I'm not going to call him dad in the office. It's, you know, I'm, I'm here and I want to do a good job and I don't want people, you know, thinking about the nepotism thing. And if you keep calling your dad dad in the office, they are going to think like that. Um, you know, but the nepotism thing was quite a big deal, I suppose, in the beginning. And, and you know, it still is now to a degree in, in a number of ways. 
Um, but dad never wanted me to work at Williams. You know, the first, it was our head of marketing that offered me the job originally, and he hadn't even asked dad. And it took him about three months to persuade Frank to, to give me a job. And then Frank really thrashed me for the first six months. You know, really wasn't, you know, he really put me through my paces, put me on a really long probation period and stuff like that. But because I hadn't been around the paddock a lot when I first started coming to races, and I wasn't allowed to come to races for a couple of years into the job. Um, Sylvia Hoffer, who was our press officer at the time, who I effectively worked for trackside, had to go around. She introduced me to people as, you know, Claire, and people didn't know. A lot of people in paddock didn't know for a long time that I was Frank's daughter. And Frank never treated me as his daughter when I would have to be there holding the dictaphone for interviews that he did and stuff like that. And that was great for me.